Hello, everyone, and welcome to our podcast. We are two sisters who love movies, and we love talking about movies and sharing with you guys all of our insights um, and our excitement of watching these movies. We watch movies as old as uh, from the 1920s and all the way to modern today. So thank you for joining us. And today we are going to talk about uh, a very famous movie that was Best Picture of 1940. It's Rebecca. Uh, Rebecca is a psychological thriller about a newlywed woman who finds herself living in the shadow of her husband's deceased ex-wife. Everywhere she goes, everyone she talks to, it's always Rebecca. Who was this woman? What happened to her? And why does it feel like Rebecca's presence is still here, lingering inside the rooms of their estate, Manderley? Well, let's find out alongside the protagonist, who in the entire film and in the novel is never given a name. So, uh, Rebecca, um, so thanks for that intro, Sarah. Uh, Now we're going to talk about why uh, we, what we think is so special about this movie that it deserves a podcast. And so from my perspective, um, I love this movie uh, because it really is a story uh, about feeling like you're not your partner's or your lover's um, number one love of their life. And this woman, uh, throughout the entire film, she is always, she feels this way, she's not good enough. So I really think that that applies to a lot of people and in their relationships. Um, what about you, Sarah? Yeah. Uh, so for me, it, it's it's kind of a, a personal question, but this is very biased for me. Um, this is one of my favorite childhood movies. It's just one of like my favorite stories of all time. I think about it a lot. It'll just pop into my head randomly. But uh, I love it because it's, it's a, you know... It reminds me of just the classic ghost story, but done in a very unique way. And, um, you know, it's it's a Hitchcock movie. So it has what you would expect from a Hitchcock movie. Uh, it's just great. It's just great. I love it so much. <laughs> <laughs> I know you love it. I've always remembered. Even since I say, how old were you? You were like yeah. 10 years old. You've always loved Becca. Yeah. And well, see, yeah. Um, sorry, I cut you off. Continue. No, I just go ahead, Sarah. No. Um, no, I, I really fell in love with the story uh, when I read the book when I was around 14 or so. And just from the, I mean, I, I loved the movie before uh, I read the book, but I think after the after I read it, it was just game over for me. I just became obsessed with it. And uh, that was pretty great. <laughs> yeah. And many people who have... Uh have seen this uh, the storytelling because there are so many adaptations. So uh, a lot of people must love this movie too for their own reasons. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a famous story. It's great. Okay, yep. so we can talk a little bit about the a little history and background uh, for 1940 Rebecca. <clears throat> so Alfred Hitchcock's film Rebecca is a psychological thriller which stars Joan Fontaine, Laurence Olivier, and Judith Anderson. Produced by David O. Selznick, the film was released in 1940 and is based on Daphne du Maurier's popular novel of the same title, Rebecca. 
nominated for nine Academy Awards, the 1940 film Rebecca took home Oscars for Best Picture and Best Cinematography in Black and White. The film Rebecca would not be the classic it is today had it not been for the collaboration between director Hitchcock and producer Selznick. Rebecca is Hitchcock's first production in America. After directing films in Britain like The 39 Steps and The Lady Vanishes, the British director had signed a contract in Hollywood with Selznick International Studios. From the beginning, Hitchcock and Selznick had disagreements on how to approach Rebecca. Hitchcock was very visual-based. He worked outwards to in, conceiving visuals and action first, then implying characterization. Whereas Selznick was the opposite. He emphasized character and a faithful adaptation of the novel. However, their collaboration proved successful as the film has gone on to be a classic and has been adapted many, many, many times. The success of Rebecca is also due to author Daphne du Maurier's timeless story. By the time the film was in production, the novel had already become a bestseller, and it had been adapted as a radio drama, a play, and a newspaper serial. After producer Selznick purchased the rights to Rebecca, which sold for the same price as Margaret Mitchell's Gone with the Wind, he sold the American radio rights to Orson Welles to produce a radio adaptation of the novel in anticipation for the film. And finally, in the spring of 1940, eager fans awaited the release of Rebecca. Dun dun dun. Dun dun dun. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Hitchcock and Selznick, yeah. That was, uh, I, it was, it was that expense, uh, the, what was it, uh, the price of, same with Gone yeah. with the Wind. It was so, the, the storyline. Yeah, um, Selznick bought uh, the rights to film Gone with the Wind for fifty thousand dollars, and it was the same price for uh, Rebecca as well. That's what they agreed on for both authors, and wow. both authors also um, declined writing the the screenplays for the movies. So that's, that's just fascinating. But yeah, it's crazy. It's, it was Rebecca was a very popular story at the time too. They would make a lot of comparisons between Rebecca and Gone with the Wind just because they were both famous books around mm-hmm. that came out around the same time. So so now getting into the uh, content of the movie. Um, so we're splitting the movie into the beginning, the middle, and the end to share with you guys uh, what we found was interesting. So yeah, so the movie starts in Monte Carlo, and that's where you have the main characters um, meet each other. Uh, Maxim and the um, woman that is not named but is the star of the whole movie. Um, I I call her Caroline in my head because... What? Sorry, I burped. <laughs> um, okay, wait, wait. So okay, it's it's interesting because I, I think I, I see in your notes that yeah, you call her Caroline. Yeah, I do. I don't know. It, that is a very fitting name. I, I, I really like it. But it's I wonder if, um, if... No, 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 no. I, it's Right. But I'm saying um, if that name might have came to you from subconsciously because Caroline, um, uh, the painting mm-hmm. of the mm-hmm. woman... That lady's name Caroline. <laughs> mm-hmm. Is that why yeah, you gave her the name? That, that's why. You that's why you gave her the name. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Never mind then. I'm, I'm sorry. But, <laughs> no, but but you're right that uh, she doesn't really. She doesn't have a name. Like right, she doesn't. Okay, 
yeah. Ming Shu. Okay, so then that that's a good name. We you mm-hmm. can call her Caroline or or main character or might be. Well, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so a main character her which is not named, but we'll just call her Caroline. Uh, so Caroline uh, and Maxim meet one another, um, and in that time she's working for uh, Mrs. Van Hopper, who is a woman that um, uh, back in the day when you'd have a. She, she she has hired Caroline to be a companion uh, for her, which in um, I guess in those days where you just hang out and you um, are a personal assistant um, and companion to to a very either rich or a person of nobility, um, and so uh, I really liked in the hotel um, when they first started showing all the outfits of the late that the ladies wore were very shiny and um, they glistened um, all over and I was very curious I was like there I think that sequence like um, and that everyone all their outfits are glistening and uh, so because I love uh, kind of checking out fashion and stuff um, in the 1920s when they um, they excavated um, and Egypt and and in the tombs they would find like really shiny um, luxurious kind of like outfits that uh, were really bright um, that became just a part of fashion and so I think that's probably why they it's just at that time it was a, a thing and they they have a lot of women of high class wearing these sparkly dresses um, so that is uh, what caught my eye when I first started it's <laughs> cool that was great well you're, you're talking about the outfits um the mm-hmm. the main character though she doesn't have no, very no, many fancy outfits she yeah, is the her. the opposite kind of of that mm-hmm. so it's it's in- just interesting seeing her like you know, juxtaposed oh, yeah. to all of all oh, of yeah. the, yeah, and makes her stick out like that. Um, she comes off as the she comes off as the dull one or the mm-hmm. the shy and but mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> so um, um, you were talking about Mrs. Van Hopper and Mrs. Van Hopper. So I guess this kind of links to also with because um, I I think Mrs. Van Hopper is very so um, that as we mentioned before, there are a lot of uh, adaptations of Rebecca, and I've seen um, a lot of them of the. I think I have about four or five of them that I've seen. And um, just later on, you'll see as well that there are a lot of female characters that are very strong headed. Um, and Mrs. Van Hopper is the first female character um, that you see and uh, that is like this. And uh, kind of like how you mentioned, Sarah, how her outfit um, of the main character, her outfit is a uh, very plain and um, because she's a humble character. Um, a lot of other women in the movie are very strong, uh, very outspoken um, and Mrs. Van Hopper is one of those uh, ladies. And so I'll loop back to her when, when we talk about Mrs. Danvers as well. Sure, sure. Yeah, and yeah, so speaking of um, the main character, or as we were calling her, Caroline, um, yeah, I really enjoy seeing her character who is very timid, very shy, like against the backdrop of of everyone else who is not, who is the opposite. Um but so throughout the entire film, you you kind of feel and you experience how uncomfortable she is. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, the same way she feels uncomfortable throughout the film, so do we. And Joan Fontaine herself uh, is also kind of, the, the actress was also a newcomer. Um, this is her first big role. Um, and she was also the last... Uh, the last actor to be cast for the film and everyone most everyone on the set is like 
British. And um, so for her, she did, she she stood out herself as an actress. Um, but yeah, so Joan Fontaine had just gotten married. She left her honeymoon to film her first big role. And uh, yeah, this is another example of uh, the collaboration between Hitchcock and Selznick because... Hitchcock actually was asking Selznick to hire an American actress to emphasize the the main character's isolation. Um, mm. Yeah, but so opposite to her uh, is Laurence Olivier, who plays Maxim, and he's he's very stern, almost a little angry. You feel as though he's hiding something. Um, but it makes for a very interesting romance between the two. Because to me, when I watch it, I would kind of... I, I like them together. I like their romance. But you can't help having the feeling that something is kind of wrong. And that they're not perfect. Um, but it, 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 it just keeps you very intrigued. Yes. No, uh, you could, seeing them together. Yeah. You could definitely feel with Max and that something's wrong with the guy. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, because something's yeah. wrong with him. And <laughs> he's angry, she's shy, and a part of you is almost like, is, is, is this a good idea? But you, you see, you still see the love between them. You're just, you're, has, anyway, it just makes for, it makes you want to keep watching. Um, I feel that this version doesn't do kind of, enough justice to like that relationship um it's now that i compare it with the other versions um i think that there's just not enough time like the other versions are like three hours long because they're uk miniseries um and uh, i don't know about like i don't know if you remember in the book if if they had more emphasis but maybe they just made it up for the uk series uh that they had a lot more (laughs) kind of dialogue and so there were like you could see the relationship build and for so in the older version, um, yeah, it was it was harder to see like that like deeper connection between the two characters, at least for me, um, comparing it with the other adaptations. Um, so it, it was in the in the book. Was it that way? Was it or was it still kind of like? Is it going to work? It's kind of. I I can't remember entirely okay. like on their for their relationship. Mm-hmm. It was more of my, my memory of reading the book is very much the memory of just the the ambience of well we'll be going there soon but um uh manderley the the estate mm-hmm. where they live um i remember the the feeling of it the way they describe it mm-hmm. uh among other things but i don't i don't remember exactly their love story too much okay. i think it's because everything else is is so is the emphasis of the movie but it, it their, their love story is 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 very important and Mm-hmm. in the movie too <laughs> in the story <laughs> yeah but yeah so we can uh we can move on from the beginning towards the uh the middle of the movie uh so yeah so after maxim and uh and the main character or caroline they meet and fall in love monte carlo they get married and um he invites her to go live in uh manderley um his estate huge estate and there we meet very important, another very important character to the story, a very iconic character, uh, Mrs. Danvers, played by Judith oh. Anderson. Oh, okay, that's and her name. Oh. Yeah, yeah, that's her. Oh, you didn't know that was her name? Oh, okay, no, you're like, who's, like Judith? Who, who's Judith? <laughs> no, like, she's, oh, yeah. Anyway, yeah um, I got it, I got it. Yeah, yeah, so we meet her, and I think well, she was a, a stage actress. She came from theater. 
and um she to me oh my god she just sells the role completely the mm-hmm. moment you see her on screen mm-hmm. she's she's scary she's intimidating she has a whole presence to herself sometimes it feels like she's stealing the show mm-hmm. um the way she holds herself just walking across the screen her head is very firm and you know she's always dressed in black and it, it, immediately you just, you get the sense of okay here is here is conflict here is the villain or <laughs> something mm-hmm. bad's going to happen again cuz you know that's how you feel in, in hitchcock movies always always there's always something around the corner always the suspense but mm-hmm. she's great um yeah and that and that's uh with the, this new character that um, comes in, uh, kind of how uh, I mentioned Mrs. Van Hopper, like there's an, that's the second strong woman that uh, is in the film that you see. And uh, it just provides a, such a great contrast to with uh, um, who we're calling Caroline, <laughs> because Caroline <laughs> is just, she's so humbling. Uh, she's a humble girl. She's not confident at all. Um, and these women are very confident. Um, they know what they they know how they feel. They can express themselves very clearly. And uh, yeah, so I I think that these strong female characters are very intimidating. And uh, it's uh, part of the the whole story of, of feeling, I think, um, when I mentioned that what I really like about this movie is feeling that you're like not number one. Um, mm. And uh, it really impacts that of like, oh, I am, this is not, this is not my story about me. This is a story about other people. Um, may, Rebecca, <laughs> I mean, the movie's called Rebecca. The book is called <laughs> Rebecca. This is not about me. And so, uh, I, so anyways, I, ju- I just thought it was very interesting. No. Mrs., Mrs. Danvers is, is a, I think she's very strong and very cool as well. I like all the strong ladies in this movie. Yeah, I hadn't thought about the, yeah, putting putting the main character against all of the, they are the opposite of her. They're mm-hmm. very strong. They're very, they know who they are. Mm-hmm. And um, the main character, on the other hand, is, is doubts herself and just, yeah, makes for very good contrast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I think... Um, yeah, talking about the mansion, they just got into the mansion, and Mrs. Mrs. Danvers, um, um, Hitchcock really, and this is where this this movie is different than this version is different than all the other versions um, adaptations that I saw. Um, is really the the music in the shadows and presenting people. Um, I guess no, Mrs. Danvers specifically. I think they use shadows that that technique on every version of Mrs. Danvers, just because I feel like that was like. It's like they have to like create this Uh. presence. Um, But um, so that I saw across the board. But in general, this film, like the mansion is really uh, provides that Hitchcock feel. Yeah, when you're watching this movie, it's really a treat to see where all the shadows are. Sometimes they're a little exaggerated. It Mm -hmm. makes it feel very very scary. Mm -hmm. Um, But let's see... George Barnes. Who's George Barnes? Yes. So I, I wrote the name of the cinematographer because oh. whenever you like the the aesthetic, the feel, the, the look of a movie, it's just always nice to mention the cinematographer's name because they always oh, get kind of forgotten. Because, you know, they work with the director to like, what is the vision? Well, you know, if the film looks really good, mm-hmm. you have to give cinematographer multiple high fives. <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's something but anyway i i've yeah george barnes is the the cinematographer for this movie yeah he's the one he's the reason why this film is 
yeah, iconic because of <laughs> George Barnes. Yes. Right. <laughs> very right. fair. To, very fair to bring him up. Very fair. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. And next I have like uh, with the ambiance um, and the the shadows and like the mis- the mystery, um, the last uh, strong female character, of course, is Rebecca. And um, that this this woman is uh, everywhere. Um uh, everyone's talking about her, uh, except Maxim. Does Maxim? Yeah, Ma- Maxim. Not uh, vaguely. Vaguely, he, he'll like. He, he. I mean, his goal is to always avert like conversation when anyone talks about her. Mm-hmm. So that's that's what he does. He just kind of changes the subject. He leaves. He's just. He kind of leaves it a mystery. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Yeah, poor, so leaves, leaves, sorry, leaves the poor main character to assume other things. This is true. And <laughs> this is so bad. Uh, I know. This is a part of like, so of course he tries to avoid like, okay, everyone around him is talking about Rebecca. All his older friends try not to admit, but everyone's talking about her. Um, oh, his, his wife that uh, passed away and that he loved so much. Um, and uh, her things are everywhere in the mansion. And so mm-hmm. she can't she can't avoid thinking about her. And one question I had in my head mm. is why didn't, if, if uh, Maxim is trying to avoid talking about her, why didn't he get rid of all her things in the first place? You know what I'm saying? I know. Yeah. Like, I feel like when a specific, remember when she like, she's crying at this one point and she like takes his handkerchief and it has a R on it. I'm like, yeah, really like even, even a little handkerchiefs, like you can throw all that away. Like, <laughs> So come on, Maxim. <laughs> you bring so a new true. wife home. Like you can throw everything out. Uh, but uh, yeah, so Rebecca's character, who was his ex-wife, who supposedly uh, he loved very, very much, um, is everyone says how confident, how witty, how beautiful she was. And that really is kind of really seals the deal in, in making this woman feel like uh, she is just not important um and that maxim maxim always will love rebecca more than her um she will never be the lady of the house mrs de winter um so yeah and then uh i think you have the next piece there i also wanted to wanted to talk about the rebecca's things so i i agree mm-hmm. he could just totally toss them out in my mind it's like he's just he's just not even thinking about that but um it's very convenient that in the story uh we see a lot of rebecca's things like her notebooks her handkerchiefs and um we see a lot of a a lot of her things and hitchcock the way he films his movies you might have noticed he 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 has an obsession with things with Mm -hmm. um objects and he uses them very much to uh to characterize any of the, the the characters in the story and um i don't know if you've seen have you seen notorious maybe you've seen this this picture yeah oh yeah I have, have you have you seen something I okay have. so yeah so i i shared with lisa um the the scene with um that's ingrid bergman with a teacup in the movie notorious and what he did was uh hitchcock had different sizes actual like giant teacups um uh, that that he used during filming to, you know, achieve like distorted, scary, just any just to give that feeling. And so that's just an example of he's he's taking these objects 
making them bigger than they are in the story and to make you feel uncomfortable and uneasy. And so it's really convenient that there's all these objects with the letter R and there's, you know, the the whole the West Wing um, where Rebecca's room used to be or still is. Um, yeah, like we'll, we see um, later on when, when the main character opens the door to that room, the way she grabs the the handle and where the camera is 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 very very classic hitchcock and it's great yeah all those things are definitely they're absolutely necessary to create that really mysterious vibe i just feel sorry for caroline i'm just like i do too i do too (laughs) it's like like... (laughs) there's the two things going on at the same time it's like you feel really sad for this girl and you're like what's going to happen to her and then the other side is like oh my god is rebecca actually like is is her shat is is her ghost still in this house is rebecca's Mm -hmm. ghost going to kill her what's Mm -hmm. because you just so you're scared you're uneasy and you're you're sad for this girl at the same time, but mm-hmm. but you have to know you just this, the way that she has to know what happened to Rebecca. Um, you also want to know watching the movie and and exploring Manderley and it's just ooh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, okay, so I want to talk a little bit about uh, the music in Rebecca. Um, well, we were just talking about how we're wondering when you're watching this movie, is Rebecca going to come out of a corner or something? Is there going to be a ghost? And um, I mean, if you're if you're listening this far, you probably have noticed that uh, that this is not a spoiler-free podcast. So, oh yeah, <laughs> I forgot to say that. That's a fair warning. Forgot to say that. But oh, yeah, no, yeah. if if you love what you're hearing and you you can go watch the movie and then come back or if you want to hear this, that's fine too. But what ends up happening is something that's that's very very special to this movie and as a ghost story is that we actually never see Rebecca. Um you just feel that she's there the entire time. And one of the ways that this is accomplished is with the the soundtrack of the film. Um, yeah, the soundtrack helps you feel kind of like as if she's there. It feels like the music is associated to um, the the mansion, like the Manderley and the music are are both an extension of her. And when I was uh, when I was making the 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 little music intro for our episode, um, I was having a little hard time figuring out the notes and such. Eventually, eventually I figured it out and I thought it was really interesting. I wanted to play you an example of what I found. So I'm kind of like a little music theory enthusiast. So I, I like knowing, you know, what, what makes music good and how does it help to support the story in a movie? And um, this is, uh, if you know what, if you look at a piano, and you just grab any note and you start playing the ascending notes at any note, like black and white keys. If you play them all, just one at a time, mm-hmm. um, that's called just chromatics when you're just going up by a half step. And it sounds okay. like this. Okay, yeah, so that's just if you're just hitting every single note going 
up and down the piano. And that's, that's, those are called chromatics. And if you compare that with the um, uh, Rebecca theme, So it uses a lot of, so it's, you know, not basically what it means is it's not bound to a, parts of the music are not bound to a specific key. And it, when you're playing all the notes just going up and down, it makes you feel very, very uneasy. You, c could mm -hmm. you feel the like going up oh, yeah. and then down and then going up and then down? You're kind of, you're like, where, where am I? What's going on? And so... I'm sure you hear that a lot in, in, in other scary music and no, in any other horror soundtracks, but this is the first, since I, I was really trying to understand and, and, and get, get something deeper out of the soundtrack, that's what I noticed. And I was like, yep, that's, that's exactly why I feel so uneasy listening to it. That's what's going on in, in the background the whole time. But so that's great. So it's the use of chromatics uh, in the music. Mm-hmm. And definitely also I felt a little bit more transport, like transported in the film somewhere else, like kind of a, a different reality. Um, because in the other films, I was trying to like listen to the music and compare. I was like, yeah, this doesn't really like take me to a like a place where I'm like, oh, like is it like for like when we talk about a ghost story, like is there a ghost? Um, is this real? Um, what's happening? And I don't really I felt more in control with the other adaptations mm. um and i think a lot of it had to do with the music yeah yeah it even it the music in this 1940 film it you, you have the the you have that melody but also it's f huge orchestration the well it, it starts with there's there's the small kind of organ theme and then there's also the big version of it so it just it can just mm -hmm. get really really big um and then yeah that helps with with being uh transported to another another place <laughs> mm -hmm. um but yeah so franz franz wax Fran, franz wax oh my god how do you say his name franz waxman waxman franz franz franz, franz? franz? okay franz wax <laughs> i can't say it wait who's franz? This guy? the guy that wrote i'm the trying to get through the sentence <laughs> so i can't finish it <laughs> do it do it sarah franz Franz, Franz Waxman, Waxman, um, he said that his favorite score was always Rebecca, and because he made the music for Rebecca. Oh, okay. Yeah, and when they would ask him, like, what, what was your favorite movie to work on? And he said, Rebecca, always Rebecca. So that's that's just really cool. Um, makes you think that, yeah, it was something really special, just not, not to, just to us, but to him as well. Um, and interestingly, uh, the first time we hear uh, Rebecca's theme is right after Mrs. Danvers mentions her name. You can oh, really? hear it a little bit in the background, yeah. yeah, when it starts with just like the the organ, which I, I know I've, I've been rambling a little bit, but uh, it's technically not uh, an organ, that kind of, that eerie, you know what I'm talking about, the little, <laughs> you hear it a lot in like other uh, old um, yeah. songs, but it's technically not an organ. It is actually, I found out it is, um, one of the first uh, synthesizers or prototype for a synthesizer ever made. Oh. So it's just it just looks like a huge piano with like a bunch of electronics hooked up to it. Um, 
but oh really yeah it's mm. it's called a nova cord and they're, they're very hard to find now they um they only made a thousand or so of them but it was like they were too complicated to run at the time like for pianists thought they were too complicated and then you know the war came along and it just wasn't practical um to keep them in production and but i love that sound so much anyway all that stuff is just is, is just so fascinating so all those bring vibes to the to the mansion the sh- the cinematography the music um and then with the plot the next piece that occurs um which is really i feel the um it's the the down point what do you call it when you're at like your lowest point? yeah your lowest point i feel like caroline's lowest point is when she breaks the china cupid um because <laughs> it's really it's really shows how much of a coward she is but like I, she basically yeah. she basically she accidentally breaks a tiny little um little statue and she hides it even though it's her house or it's her mansion because she's the she's the lady of the mansion she hides it because she's she's just scared that she's embarrassed that she it accidentally happened and she has to actually tell mrs danvers that she broke it and so she hid it um, and so that is just really like, it's, it just shows it's kind of pathetic. And so, uh, and you just feel bad for her that she's that terrified. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's, I would say very embarrassing moment for the main character, <laughs> but that it, I feel like that is, well, that's not the really, it, it, it's the, it's the low point that Go, that slowly builds into the high, her high point, um, which we'll talk about later, because she definitely uh, she definitely needs to reach that to uh, really stand up for herself. Um, so maybe actually, there's one more piece that in the West Wing tour, maybe that's the low point emotionally. Um, right after she breaks that, she hides it. Then when it's revealed that she broke this, uh, she's with Maxim, um, and they are watching their old clips of when they were on their honeymoon before they came back to um, the mansion. And so um, one thing that stood out to me was that Maxim tells Caroline, happiness is something I know nothing about. And he's saying this while they're watching clips of their honeymoon. And that just made me sad. Oh, my God. (laughs) I didn't even. That is really. I mean, because I was just thinking about how, like, you know, to to say that, to say something like that to your spouse or Mm -hmm. your significant other is depressing enough. But Mm -hmm. it's true. They had just been watching Mm -hmm. clips of their honeymoon. Wow. So I think that maybe, I don't know if it's in the book, um, and I think that this is, in the other versions they have this too, but I think this is the, the, the version that makes me saddest when I watch it uh, because it really makes you feel like, like it, he's, it, he's contributing to the situation where she feels like she's the second best. Like he's basically saying like, oh, you don't make me happy enough. And so of course, obviously she's gonna it's gonna make her feel terrible mm. um so i i just i i know it makes maxim look like the bad guy which technically you can still be the bad like uh it's not that he's the bad guy but like nobody's perfect and so it's okay i feel that i'm critiquing maxim because i don't think he's the nicest guy to caroline the, so no anyway that's exactly <laughs> no it's like i was saying like you're these aren't when, when you're watching the film you get the feeling of like are these morally correct characters or not and Mm -hmm. but um yeah um but you you were saying um uh actually in the book the the scene where 
they're watching the clips from their honeymoon. That's not in the book. But oh, perhaps so. he did say something like happiness is something I know nothing about. That totally mm-hmm. sounds like something he would say. <laughs> mm-hmm. But just the, the scene itself isn't in there. Um, but yeah, in, the, in that scene, there's also a lot of shadows, a lot of... Mm-hmm. It's weird. It's Because it's, you, you'll see the dark shadows and all you see is, is kind of the 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 eyes of maxim or the eyes of um of the the main character and um what was i gonna say Ooh, it feels even though a lot of the screen is dark it just feels like the, um the the characters are very exposed in that moment like she's very vulnerable even though mm-hmm. she's surrounded in the darkness and you can't see and it's just it, it makes you feel sad <laughs> like you were saying yeah, that's so yeah, that scene is definitely, it was, because then she, because, and that's the scene where also, on top of that, like, they find out that um, Mrs. Danvers finds out that the the statue is broken, and then Caroline has to confess. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, everything just goes wrong for this character in the whole, in the book. So, um, but in the end, like I said, it's character building, as you'll see soon. So, um, yeah, but then the, a new character is introduced right after um who is jack jack is uh we end up finding out that he is rebecca's favorite cousin which we quickly find out that her lover you know, that her lover yeah we find there's not just cousin anyway so um she ends up um the uh, the main character or, or caroline ends up um inadvertently meeting uh jack and yeah while um while Caroline, it's so weird. I I, I feel kind of weird calling her Caroline. There's you a feel part weird of me that it? yeah. Just, I mean, I'm okay really with I, but you you could. I'll keep saying main main character or something, even though. Well, let's just see what comes out. But so while she's been there in this mansion, um, trying to not just assimilate, but you know, hopefully, actually be the lady of the 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 of Manderley. Um, mm-hmm. uh, we find out that uh, the West Wing is actually uh, Rebecca's old room. And the main character has been kind of looking at it from from the corner. Because it was Miss Dan- Mrs. Danvers that mentioned it to her. And on the day, day that Caroline meets Jack, she finally decides, I'm going to go into the West Wing. And then you find you have that shot with the her opening the, the door handle. Oh, and here we go. Mm-hmm. She goes in to the West Wing, which is like the whole time you, you have the feeling that, oh, this is forbidden. This is off limits. And but she she has to know what's in there because um, it's it's just hanging over her literally like a shadow. And yeah. And so she goes in. Mm hmm. And yeah. So and Mrs. She, she goes in. Uh, she checks out the situation. Of course, you have um, the same kind of playing with the music and the shadows and the mystery of, of Rebecca's, uh, Rebecca's room and uh, then pops in Mrs. Danvers and uh, she is really what makes the whole scene creepy. <laughs> Mrs. Danvers <laughs> and her obsessiveness with all of Rebecca's stuff. Um, and uh, yeah, because Re- Mrs. Danvers, she just loved Rebecca and um, she was obsessed, I would say obsessed with her. Um, with that obsession, I just... Um, it made me think of uh, Mrs. Danvers' um, role in the house and um, how 
really, I think that it was she considered her family because um, you know how they. I mean, they've had so they we, they have so many uh, series about having you know uh, servants and and their relationships with um, their uh, their employees that they lived with for years. You know, like um, uh, what's it? Remains of the day. You remember that one, Sarah? Mm-hmm. With Anthony Hopkins, I, I remember, but I, I haven't seen it in a long time. Oh, okay. Very <laughs> sad. Uh, <laughs> so basically, um, I'm sure Mrs. Danvers. I don't know how long she had been there, but definitely she mentions that she was there the first day that um, Rebecca came to the home. But um, Mrs. Danvers, I was curious. Mrs. Danvers is a Mrs. Um, and where's like was she married? Is she a widow? Like maybe she's very lonely in that regards. Maybe we, I'm. I'm I'm assuming she's a widow, um, and uh, Rebecca was really like her daughter, her family, um, and she is just very angry that this new lady has come to this house and thinks that she can replace Rebecca. Um, so her her like kind of anger towards her um, and uh, her I don't know I don't want I don't want to call her creepy because I, I don't think the character character is creepy. I think that. Um, Hitchcock does a very good job at making her feel like that, like, which uh, is very scary. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's 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 re- she's a very very interesting character. Definitely ominous, villainous. You you feel scared watching, and and it's not. I I guess maybe it, it, yeah, it does feel a little creepy. But the the biggest thing that comes across. Um, yeah, with Mrs. Danvers is immediately you see how she's very, very obsessive mm-hmm. over Rebecca, over her things, over over the room, over the nightgown, over the bed, over the hairbrush, everything. She she maintains the room exactly as it was um, mm-hmm. since Rebecca had died. And, you know, that's not like, it's not a request that um, Maxim made or anything. It's just... She just maintains it. Um, what was I gonna say? That's also, I guess, a power thing too. Because if if Mrs. Danvers can have the house look like she can keep it any way she wants, because Maxim, it, Maxim obviously is detached and he's not paying attention. Um, then this new lady that's coming, uh, Caroline, she, I mean, she's taking over the house, and Mrs. Danvers is really the lady of the house. She gets to say what's uh, what's gonna yeah. happen. Suddenly, you have yeah. someone now who's going to take over. Um, like I said, as a as some like a servant who's been there for forever, and it's like this is at my actual home. I I live here um, to have another woman come and be like, okay, now I'm in charge. It must be it must be pretty annoying. Um, I don't know how these people uh, <laughs> they spent their whole lives like with other people's families, but uh, um, yeah. Anyways. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. It's definitely it's not. <laughs> a different type of culture that it's different culture uh, we don't really know anything yeah. about so the relationships that are going on there it's 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 hard to figure out but you know when when you're watching it at least from my perspective from jesus's perspective when when i was re-watching this again because i i hadn't seen it in a long time and um watching the the first west wing uh scene when she does the tour i just kind of you you were talking a little bit how hitchcock makes it feel creepy and Mm -hmm. it's almost you start having well in my head i started having uh what i call now (laughs) the danvers question because now i'm like wait a second was there more than just 
What's why is she showing? She's so proud of the mm-hmm. the, the nightgown, the underwear. Oh, and when she, she says, "Was she in love with her?" her. Yeah. Huh? Is that is that what you mean? Like, was she in love with her? Yeah, that's yeah. my yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Was Mrs. Danvers in they love definitely, with Rebecca? They definitely make it sound that way. Um, not, I mean, not just with the Hitchcock vibe in, in the 1940s, but in all the versions, and I'm sure in the book as well. Um, it, yeah. So in the book, it's it's um, Mrs. Danvers uh, knew Rebecca since she was actually very young. Um, oh, since she was like okay. a child. So it makes it more. You're oh. like, wait, what, what? What's happening? So she's known Rebecca a very, very long time. Um, so some people interpret it as this is a, a unhealthy kind of mother-daughter relationship. But, okay. you know, other people can also interpret it as, is is there something more there? Because mm-hmm. it's, and, and, you know, definitely through the Hitchcock lens, he, you, he kind of he implies it. But, um, you know, mm-hmm. it's done still a little discreetly, you know, for being 1940. But, yeah, speaking of all this question of was she in love with uh with rebecca i have um a mm. statement from i sound so i sound like someone just called in in this <laughs> this just in <laughs> i have a statement, I have a statement no, from no. <laughs> are we in court no no okay no no so so we, we're we'll mention well we are about to mention it again soon but um at the time Ho- hollywood films had to um they they were regulated by the Hayes Code, uh, which is basically a production code saying, here here are things you can and can't show. Here are things that uh, you have to be careful with showing, mm-hmm. and you have to get a certificate from that production office. And the 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 entire purpose of all of that was to um, avoid the government from stepping in and the government censoring movies. So the the big studio heads form their own production code but anyway um because of the production code some some things in in movies had to be uh censored and in regards to mrs danvers going through and 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 showing all of rebecca's room and rebecca's things to the main character um i'm reading from hitchcock and selznick the rich and strange collaboration of Alfred Hitchcock and David O. Selznick in Hollywood by Leonard Jeff. Um, he quotes Joseph I. Breen, who is the, I think he's the, he was the head of the, the production code office. Um, and he said, Mrs. Danvers' description of Rebecca's physical attributes, her handling of the various garments, particularly the nightgown, mm-hmm. reddened his, and then it says, uh, the author says, reddened his Irish Catholic cheeks. <laughs> In the final cut, <laughs> Breen told Selznick, there must be no suggestion, whatever, of a perverted relationship between Mrs. Danvers and Rebecca. Uh, mm-hmm. If any possible hint of this creeps into this scene, we will, of course, not be able to approve the picture. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so, but if, if you ask me, pers- my opinion, on mm-hmm. if she was in love with her or not, I would say the because we're about it (laughs) i was getting to it (laughs) though we're we're going to we're about to talk about the ending but just the way she reacts to some of some things in in the ending is makes me lean toward yes (laughs) but regardless Mm -hmm. we can all agree that it is 
an unhealthy obsessive relationship but anyway mm-hmm. okay moving on we can talk about mm-hmm. let's see <laughs> um yeah we'll talk about the big turning point uh yeah oh no no i forgot something ah no. call back one sec so we were talking um we've been talking about um the collaboration between hitchcock and selznick there was a lot of back and forth and um Another example of their collaboration is in this West Wing tour scene. Um, Hitchcock originally had Mrs. Danvers in the room talking about how she maintains flowers in the room. Um, And then Selznick went in, he trimmed the dialogue, and he said, like, no, you can just show flowers. You can just have a shot of pretty flowers in the room. And so he went with that. Hitchcock went with that. And then Hitchcock went further and when Mrs. Danvers is, is showing um, the main character, or Caroline, um, the, the nightgown, the, the flowers in the room just have this huge shadow over the main character. You know? Oh, really? So once again, it's, yeah, it's like Rebecca's thing, the mansion, the flowers, and as mm-hmm. an extension of her, is just mm-hmm. on top of the main character. Like, she's literally in that shadow. But anyway, so that's, you know, that's the two of them working back and forth. And then another thing was um, the that portrait of Maxim that is on um, Rebecca's dresser. That was Selznick's idea. Um, he said something like, "I want a very handsome picture of of Maxim or <laughs> Laurence Olivier <laughs> on there." And so, yeah, so they got a really nice picture of him. And then Hitchcock goes even further, and you know, when when um, the main characters going through the room looking at things she she sits down and then she's about to grab the hairbrush and then she looks at the picture recoils like she's reacting to the picture and yeah so then that's that's the both that's what Hitchcock added to the the picture um part that that Selznick wanted to add anyway that's just really cool of the both of them going back and forth well those are cool things but they actually they fought they, a lot, they, the two of them. But oh, they did. <laughs> that's, that's like a nice example. Yeah, like the first treatment that um, Hitchcock and some other writers wrote for Rebecca, he hated it. Selznick hated it and wrote like a three thousand word memo of just, of just lecturing. <laughs> it's it's pretty brutal. I, I have it here. <laughs> oh, you have it there. <laughs> if you, if say you the, say the ju- is there a juicy part? <laughs> I can just say the beginning. Okay. Let's see. Um. Okay, so I think this is right after uh, Selznick. Yeah, this says, subject, Rebecca treatment. He says, dear Hitch, it is my unfortunate, (laughs) (laughs) it is my unfortunate and distressing task to tell you that I am shocked and disappointed beyond words by the treatment of Rebecca. I regard it as a distorted and vulgarized version of a provenly successful work Oh. In which, for no reason that I can discern, old-fashioned movie scenes have been sub- substituted for the captivatingly charming Dumourier scenes. This is particularly true in the Riviera sequence. We bought Rebecca, and we intend to make Rebecca. The few million people who have read the book and who worship it would very properly attack us violently for the desecrations which are indicated by the treatment. Whoa. That is an angry letter. <laughs> There's more. Like, it's... Anyway, I'll stop because that is an angry. Yeah, the problem is they're both (laughs) artists, and then they both argue, and then like, Mm -hmm. you know, Selznick's big boss, and and, but anyway, (laughs) it's pretty funny. Moving (laughs) on. 
Okay, so yeah. after the West Wing tour. <coughs> oh, after. you can continue. <laughs> oh, yeah. So after the West Wing tour and uh, that uh, it's just very intimidating the whole and Caroline feels very, very intimidated the whole time. Um, she finally explodes and she decides, OK, um, it's, I'm, I'm done with all of this. I'm done with Rebecca's things. I'm done with the whole Rebecca thing. And so she calls um, Mrs. Danvers and she tells her that she wants to just get rid of all of uh, Rebecca's things in the in Manderley. And um, of course, the reaction of Mrs. Danvers is these are this is these are Mrs. De Winter's things. How can you do this? And she's like, I am Mrs. De Winter now. And of course, that that line, I am Mrs. De Winter now, is what really, uh, um, it's, it's, the, it's the first piece, first part in the whole story uh, where it kind of shows that Caroline is starting to gain confidence, is just fed up with everything, and uh, she is now going to take charge, and she is not going to let Rebecca be number one. She is going to be number one. Um, so it's a very important part of the film, um, and with the mu- I think it's uh, in 1940s version they have intense well I think they have intense music for all of them but the I think the 1941 has the most like intense like impact um, yeah. I am Mrs. De Winter now yeah <laughs> it's a really good scene I love it you know it, it's it makes me stand up from the couch <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> it makes me have to get up <laughs> yes because it's like, exciting I, it's a turning I, point yeah, because mm-hmm. I mean, I watched. I probably watched all the different versions too soon, like one after the other. And after getting feeling drained, like from <laughs> all of, every yeah, time, I, I was like, "Yeah, finally!" Like <laughs> every time that that part of the storyline would come, I was like, "Finally, we're here." <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they were meant to all be all be consumed at once. That's probably why. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's pretty. It's pretty. It's, That's it why they're done soul. throughout the years. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. Wait, so did did you like um did, did you like the way one character said it more than the other when they said that I am Mrs. De Winter? Or did you I mean when the, I, the delivery. I the delivery. Let's that's a good point. I'm trying to think. Um I am Mrs. De No, I think that because of the music and I think that No, there's confidence the nineteen seventy nine one was pretty good too. But I would say no. I would say uh, Joan Fontaine did the best. She did the best. Yeah, delivery. she's great. I just she just plays such a good like like she's so good at acting like she's scared and confused. Yeah, yeah. So then when you see her confident, you're just whoa. whoa. Mm-hmm. And even Miss Danvers is taken aback. Like mm-hmm. yeah, Joan Fontaine I think has the I think she does the best transformation. But um, I do like. I can't try. Let me see. I'm trying to distinguish character. Uh, the 1979 and the 1997. Um, I do like. I think I'm just biased, and I was going to talk about it later. Is like the connection between the main Maxim and her, and I just I don't know. I did, I, I liked her a lot. The character. Um, I, Joan Fontaine, I think, did the best. Um, acting where like you said like she was just very terrified the whole time and uh then suddenly <laughs> she's like she's she, this is where she starts making an effort uh, but i do like the 19 uh i like this 1979 that's the actually the one it's on youtube but it's like super fuzzy like I yeah i'm not gonna i wouldn't recommend it if watching that on youtube um but yeah 
I would say that her acting was pretty good, but Joan Fontaine wins that line. She wins. Oh, yeah. <laughs> She's great. Okay, so then... Um, the costume party let's see yeah the costume party yeah so she's declared herself mrs de winter now and now she's going to hold um uh she's going to host a ball which is what they would normally do at manderley back in the day um so she's going to be the host so basically since it's a costume party the main character is um looking for a She's just trying to design an outfit or something to wear, something that's special, you know, because now she has her new independence and everything's going great. But now Mrs. Danvers comes in and she uh, suggests that um, that Caroline can, that the main character can uh, make a costume based off of one of the paintings in, in Manderley. And she, Mrs. Danvers even says, oh, this is one of... Um, maxim's favorites and uh yeah and then mrs danvers says this is lady caroline one of um maxim's like ancestors and so main character chooses that dress she's she's designing it it's going to be a surprise oh dear even i'm just thinking about this scene i get chills Whew. so she um she yeah day of the party night of the party she comes down wearing that dress. No one has seen her yet. She wants to keep it a big surprise. And um, she's she so says, happy. She's so yeah, happy. Yeah, she is too. so happy. The happiest oh my she's God, been. That's what I'm talking about. Yes. Yes, just Joan Fontaine's face when she's walking. Like, you can you can just tell this poor, like, kind of... Well, now she's a little bit... Not as shy, but you can... She's desperately trying. Like, she's happy. Anyway. Um, and then she says the... Hello, Mr. De Winter. Or good evening, Mr. De Winter. And... Uh, Everyone turns around and looks at her, and it's just, they're, they're, uh, speechless. Maxim tells her to, uh, go change. He's very angry. She goes running up the stairs, and then she sees that the, the door to, um, the West Wing, uh, is kind of open, and Mrs. Danvers has just gone in there. And now... Now the main character has realized that Mrs. Danvers has betrayed her again, and she's she's got her eye on the target. She's going right in there. She goes into the room. I, I could narrate the whole movie. <laughs> I know. I'm waiting. What's going to happen now, Sarah? <laughs> oh, you want to know what's going to oh, I mean, she goes in there. She says, like, you knew she wore it. You knew it, and you deliberately told me. <laughs> she says it like that a little bit, kind of. And, um, oh, and then, yeah, Mrs. Danvers just pops off and um, says just, like, like you, you don't deserve her things and all of that, and and this place, and she. <sighs> Mrs. Danvers got sweet revenge. Sweet revenge, yeah. After the I am Mrs. De Winter now, so yeah. Mm-hmm. So they're going, getting back and forth, and and that's how she got her. And um, but yeah, that that window scene. It's pretty dark. It's it dark is scene. very very dark. They. Yeah, they're arguing. She's um, the main character is crying, and Mrs. Danvers is making her feel terrible. Talking about Rebecca, still comparing her to Rebecca, and um, oof, takes her to the window, says some other horrible things, and that scene is it. It, it gives me goosebumps, gives me chills. It's it's ooh ooh, and I think she om- she looks like she's gonna mm. jump. Yeah, that's why it's scary. <laughs> you want me to? You want me to just? 
tell everything. I was trying to leave a little mystery, but oh, okay. yeah, Mrs. Danvers. We'll we'll okay, okay, okay. She very convincingly, uh, yeah, tries to, you know, get her to jump tell, out of a window. Get her to jump out the window. It's very, it's very dark. No, 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 no. Very, very. Um, but in that she scene, doesn't. no, she does. <laughs> The end. No, no, this is not the end. Can you the imagine end. it? And then she jumps. The end, and then Mrs. Danvers wins. <laughs> Mrs. Danvers um, wins. Yeah, she, she's happy, and she just like, this is that, really, like wipes this her is hand, really and then Mrs. she goes Danvers. down. Yeah, and then she's like, I don't know where she is. I didn't do anything. What are you talking about? <laughs> um, but we were talking about. Uh, cinematography <laughs> cinematography earlier and how you know Hitchcock likes things and um, all the shadows and and you know um, the way he uses close-ups is also very special and very selective because um, as as the scene is building up the the conflict between them is building up in that entire scene is getting more and more tense um, right at the end when uh, when Mrs. Danver says, like, like, it's so easy, you could just go on, right? And then bam, <laughs> that's when you get yeah, that's when you get the close-ups of just the two of them. And 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 Mrs. Danver says right next to the main character, their their faces are so close together, and there's the close-ups, and you just feel ooh, the intensity. It's so good. It's so good. Mm-hmm. It's like eating a spicy food and you <laughs> spicy. your face squints and you're like, ooh. Yeah. <laughs> and then bam but that scene is <clears throat> it, that scene abruptly ends there's fireworks and they have found a um there's actually a shipwreck and uh the divers have found another ship in the water which ends up being rebecca's ship the boat that she supposedly drowned on and uh yeah and now the main character's got to go find um maxim and just find out what's going on and this is yeah so we mentioned this is not a spoiler free podcast but this if you if you are intrigued by anything at all that we have said from here on are all of the twists and turns and and what makes part of what makes this this story this movie really good so here's the biggest spoilers of the entire <laughs> movie <laughs> yes Caroline uh, runs down to the. There's a little cottage by the by the shore near um, Manderley. Um, that's a part of the property, uh, and that's where she finds Maxim, who's hiding from from everyone. And here is here is the big revelation, the big question that that the the main character has had the the entire uh, movie is who was Rebecca and everything. And we find out that Maxim hated Rebecca. Rebecca was a bitch. <laughs> Rebecca was, she was a bitch. She was, it was all a farce. Mm-hmm. It, everything was, was a sham. It was all just perception. And Rebecca was unfaithful to Maxim. And yeah, she was just, she was mean. And, and he ended up trapped in that marriage um because of family honor and and all that and uh yeah was there something you wanted to say about the fact that he hated rebecca uh yeah so i mean 
telling her and describing how much he hated Rebecca, um, I think that is uh, it, it is the point where Caroline finally feels like she is number one, and then her confidence just skyrockets, and then she just she becomes um, a strong woman herself. So I really think that that is really where the character growth. Um, is shown, and uh, that's that's what I like about this movie is this this very meek and scared woman just finally uh, comes into her own. She knows who she is. She wants to be strong for Maxim, and she knows that she's number one, and that Maxim actually does love her, and that it's not that she didn't bring him happiness. Uh, because he, uh, Rebecca brought him happiness. It's just that he was just, I, w- I would say a little bit selfishly in his own little world of misery. Um, and he just didn't let her in because of the misery, uh, but that she was actually his his lifeline. So I think that is, um, it's, very be- it's a very beautiful moment for Caroline. Um, and it just gives her the energy she needed and uh, let her to, for her to become the woman uh, that we, we knew she could be the whole time. It's just, she was just very... Just uh, yeah, the character I think was just very, very meek the whole time, and now she's like she's strong. And the, and also I saw because I always talk about clothing is that once after that scene she's uh, definitely dresses more like um, not like a little kind of because before she's kind of like in skirts and like very very cute clothing I would say very cute, and then she dresses very mature, um, kind of to represent that she's a more mature woman now. You're blowing my mind here. I hadn't even thought about that either. That's no. that's great yeah. detail. Cause like yeah, cause I I I remember some of the outfits she wears later, and then just thinking like, oh, that that's a really cool outfit. But mm-hmm. having that like now it's now the way she dresses is different. That's that's no coincidence. That is that's great. That's great observation. Um, but just as she is now, this main character is now gaining this confidence her her character and independence she's kind of she knows who she is now now she is at the risk of losing it all because now she finds out the circumstances of rebecca's death Uh which now i have to i have to bring up huh yeah you gotta say it you gotta say it oh i'm going to yeah i was gonna say i just i have to um i have to bring up 14 year old sarah who was uh, reading this book. I, I think I, I read it because I just needed a, a book to read in school. And I saw they had Rebecca. I remember like the, it was hardcover and it had the, the red letter R on it, like really big R. And I was like, oh, I know Rebecca, I'll read Rebecca. Mm-hmm. And so I was reading it and I'm in like a science class and I get to this part in the, in the book. <laughs> and then all of a sudden we find out well, I'll, I'll say what happens in the movie, because there's a huge difference between the two. Yeah. In the movie... I, rem- I remember you telling me there is, yes, there is a big yes, difference. Yes, I was shocked. Yeah. So in the movie, um, the night of Rebecca's death, uh, Maxim and Rebecca meet in the cottage, and Rebecca taunts Maxim, saying that, uh, kind of implying that I am... I am pregnant with um, another man's child, with, with Jack's child, who is her um, her cousin. And she's saying, you can't do anything about it. He's going to be the heir. So, so she's basically antagonizing him, making him really mad. And he, he explodes a little bit. He hits her, but she's fine. And um, she takes a few steps forward, but then she accidentally trips, and then she dies in the cottage. 
and now he's here with a dead body and then he goes out um sinks her body in a boat and that's what happens in 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 the movie in the movie her death is an accident and the book however back to 14 year old sarah she's reading it i get to this page and i'm just like rereading it like what what's happening in the book he kills her mm-hmm. he shoots her when she's when rebecca's taunting maxim he he just he shoots her with the because that oh my god i just yeah, he, he <laughs> kills her in it. cold blood oh, no, he kills cold her blood. It's, it's crime of yeah. passion it's a crime of passion. yeah a crime of passion yeah and she, she's very much that that's what that's what she wanted she was trying to get um mm-hmm. Or to kill him, trying to antagonizing him, and so yeah. So in the book, he is a murderer, and he is, um, you know, now now he's he's trying to get rid of the body, and and he does the same thing. He, um, he takes the, puts her body on a boat and sinks it. But um, we were talking earlier about the Hayes Code, and of course that's the reason why this ending had to be changed for uh, the the adaptation into the film. Under the Hayes Code, you cannot have, like, the hero of a movie killing his own wife mm-hmm. and, you know, trying to portray that still that person still as the good guy. So they yeah. had to change that ending. And it's, it's, it's just, it's interesting to, to think about because the story still works both ways because there's still the big mystery, there's still the big reveal, um, and because very quickly the, the, the back to the um the the boat that has been found after the after the shipwreck um you know they find the body of of rebecca on that boat and so now the story becomes um you know finding out what happened to rebecca regardless in in either way he is still kind of framed for her murder and uh he's still very much psychologically confused (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so it works both ways uh it's just well i think i think it's it changes a little bit though of like with caroline for i feel like it's a bit intense that she i mean i think she, her relief that she was no longer like rebecca was no longer um that person that uh, Maxim loves most of all up over her. Uh, that relief was so strong that she didn't even care that he murdered. Like in the same scene, I don't know if it was so fast in the book too, but she doesn't even care that he murdered her. He was happy. She was happy that he murdered her. So I was like, I felt I felt that was a bit intense that <laughs> Caroline would be like, yeah. oh, that's cool. Like, <laughs> like. <laughs> but you but, know how it's it's kind of intense to, for her to accept it so quickly because she. I feel like she's just so happy that he didn't love her. Uh, that he didn't love Rebecca, that, um, and she, and all the versions, they, they show that too, like instant relief and it's okay. Um, and um, so that is a little bit, uh, a little bit off for me because I feel right. like also she as a strong woman, like as well, like she should be, I don't know, she should, should be a little bit more like, it should have been more complex than that. That's how I feel. Then it's like, mm. oh, it's going to be okay. Like, yes, like, yeah. yeah, it's okay that you killed her. Like, wow. I, <laughs> <laughs> I think it goes back to uh, what, what I was saying, how um, the when you're watching the movie, you have the question of, are these characters morally right? Mm-hmm. Is this relationship seems a little rocky? Um, so it's, to me, it's it adds to that. Yeah. So, it, yeah, it's, it's unhealthy. So, you know, 
the fact that she's willing to accept it so quickly and move on. I, I, I had accepted that these characters weren't perfectly moral and mm-hmm. it just it just makes it very interesting um, that she does accept it very quickly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she does. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and so now, uh, now that they have found Rebecca's body, um, there's a new inquest uh, finding out what what happened to her, why... Yeah, why, why have we found her body? Why is she dead and, and what happened to her? Um, because the other body that uh, Maxim had identified uh, was not her. And so at the inquest, the, the character Jack uh, shows up at the inquest, who, if we remember, he is, um, was Rebecca's lover, lover cousin, cousin slash lover. And he has, um, he has a letter from Rebecca. She's, she wrote to him saying that she needed to see him urgently and he's holding it um as blackmail over over maxim because during the inquest they're asking questions like were the relations between you and uh mrs de winter you and mrs de winter perfectly all right something like that (laughs) trying to figure out what happened to her Mm -hmm. and jack's holding the blackmail over um over maxim so this guy who's blackmailing um maxim He's actually right because he thinks that Maxim killed her and he did. So ultimately, yeah, yeah. I feel bad for Jack because uh, he's like, I, I know you killed like I know you killed her and they're denying it. But in the end, Jack, I mean, as morally, I mean, obvi- I mean, he was Rebecca's lover. Um, so, I mean, I mean, she's married, I guess, or cousins, I, I guess. But, I mean, Maxim killed her. And so I feel that um, although Jack is portrayed as, like, the bad guy, I, I guess specifically in the 1940s version, like you mentioned, you can't, like, you have to make it more clear-cut for people. Like, so Laurence Olivier needed to, like, look like the good guy the whole way. So, like, we don't want to have him kill her on purpose. So Jack, Jack just looks like the bad guy, but... Yeah, to me, Jack is just, he's just sneaky, but um, I, I just feel bad because he was absolutely right. Maxim did kill her. Yeah, his suspicions were right. Yeah, he, he killed her in, in, in the book and then not in the movie, but he he had a hunch. But so his note that says that, that Rebecca wanted to meet Jack the day that she died, eventually they follow this paper trail that takes everyone to uh, one of Rebecca's doctors, Dr. Baker, who is kind of on the outskirts of town um, because their suspicions are that Rebecca was pregnant at the time, which is what she was um, taunting Maxim with, if you remember when, when, depending on which version you're reading or watching or anything, because in, in the other adaptations, he also does kill her. Yeah, so they go to the doctor to confirm the the suspicions of was she pregnant at the time? Because if she was pregnant at the time, then it, it couldn't have been a suicide, which is something that they're they're trying to figure out at the inquest. But at this doctor, they reveal that Rebecca had cancer, mm-hmm. and so all along, all along, she knew she was going to die, and to the very end of her life, she. Uh, she wanted to screw Maxim over and tried to get him to kill her, mm-hmm. Whew, which is a lot. 
and she won she did he hit <laughs> and it. she won she technically yeah well, well not quite on which, won. Yeah, yeah because he didn't actually way, get locked up because she was he would he would have gotten like she probably wanted him to get locked up yeah yeah well she yeah she won in a certain way and then in another way she because in, in the end of the movie the the two main characters are fine it gets proven that like oh since she had cancer she probably did commit suicide even the things that the doctor remembered about her made it sound like yeah she was going to end her life um sooner than the cancer was going to get her but yeah so when uh maxim maxim is driving back to manderley and it's like three or four in the morning and he sees a light ahead and in, in the sky and it ends up being manderley is on fire it's not the sunrise and that is the final highest point in the movie because so much has happened at this point like you i feel like you can't figure out which scene in this movie is supposed to be like the climax like it yeah, just it keeps up and down, doing up and itself <laughs> the climax should be the the uh, maxim's revelation of the truth about rebecca and her death that that should be it but i mean it's just it's it's a lot of stuff all over the place but manderley is on fire and it's mrs danvers she set everything on fire and um we were talking about mrs danvers and the dan the danvers question of was mm-hmm. she in love with rebecca and to me mm-hmm. for someone to be so distraught because if you think they show mrs danvers during the inquest and she's very upset and they're revealing a lot of things about rebecca's life that mrs danvers didn't know about and rebecca didn't tell mrs danvers about the cancer or mm-hmm. about any pregnancy which she wasn't pregnant but these secrets right you it's you see mrs danvers reacting to finding out these secrets about someone that was very very close to her and then she sets the house on fire the entire house i just think Mm -hmm. those are the actions of someone who i just feel like it could be love it could be passion that is just like she can't she is so distraught in a way it makes me feel like okay the love story and was I watching the love story between Maxim and, <laughs> and the main character or between Mrs. Danvers and Rebecca? Because mm-hmm. <laughs> to me, it's just that is that is that is passion. That is it's a lot. Well, I think as a gothic, because this is considered a gothic story, right? Mm. Like, uh, yeah. So I mean, so primarily, like, I think what defines the gothic era are like very like mysterious um old mansions and ghosts and um i think that this like because i'm just thinking about other uh, movies like kind of like jane Eyre. it it literally ends the same way ends with the uh, jane Eyre ends with the fire um that this just is a it's it's a staple piece in that kind Mm. of like um that manderley and and mrs danvers together created that gothic or and and rebecca um mm-hmm. that that ghost that the the mystery and like it, it's it's I, I think that's why that was like necessary for for as a as a genre um and uh so I, yeah i think that it it makes it go i think without that um without such an emphasis on mrs danvers and the mystery of like manderley and rebecca rebecca's things in manderley um i think that it would just wouldn't be a gothic uh, story to uh, yeah a gothic story, um, so yeah. But I, I definitely think that 
this since it ends with this like dramatic Mrs. Danvers just setting everything on fire. <laughs> um, this is a very intense reaction. Uh, yeah. What, like, <laughs> so yeah. It's yeah. She she it, dies within the West Wing with all of Rebecca's things and mm-hmm. you know and um, yeah and so uh, the the last thing that I will mention about Hitchcock and and Selznick's collaboration is um, that for the ending Selznick uh, he wanted the smoke from from Manderley from the fire to end up spelling a letter R in in the oh, sky really? i yeah see but that. yeah it's not oh it's not in there it's not in there is it no it's not in the movie no oh, it's not okay. in the, that, that's what that's what selznick wanted uh-huh but you know if you read that at least me reading that i was like oh that's a little too over the top um well you could do it so, kind of like not too obvious but kind of you know you could do it in right. a way that's kind of kind of subtle and you could only tell if you were really looking um you could maybe but yeah. see that's the thing that that what you just mentioned that that's kind of what hitchcock did because the last shot in the movie is we we are in the west wing and the camera moves closer to Mm -hmm. the the letter r that's embroidered on the the case for the nightgown Mm -hmm. that mrs danvers was showing off so it ends on that letter r but like you know a smaller one in in the house in manderley as manderley is falling and Ooh. So anyway, mm-hmm. that's that's another kind of back and forth between them, um, and it and ended up working out. Yeah. Oh, and that's that's what I was going to say about the about Manderley and the fire, and so in 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 that sense, Rebecca did win because um, Maxim and his new wife no longer get to live at Manderley. That's true. Um, so she 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 won in the end in that sense, mm-hmm. but in the other sense, they they made it out. They're happy and they get to go live their lives together. So mm-hmm. yeah, so it's a fascinating story about you know this woman is dead yet her ghost or aura or or everything that she did before she died is still reverberating now and. Mm-hmm. Uh, f- affecting the lives of 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 everyone who knew her, yeah, especially her husband, um, yeah, and that's 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 the scary part. She's not even alive, and we're all mm-hmm. terrified of her. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's like pff, power. That's and to, to end on the letter R and to like she's, she's just, still there. She yeah. has a force. <laughs> yeah, that's the feeling. That's like oh man, just it's a great story. It's a very good story. It's great. The classic. I feel like it just gets a little because um, Hitchcock has made a lot of amazing movies, but I feel like Rebecca doesn't get enough love. Mm-hmm. But that's why we're here. Yeah, <laughs> I think the acting is good, the cinematography, and and uh, yeah, the music and this the story of the different characters, the character development, and um, the only the only person I question <laughs> is uh, is Maxim. <laughs> I do. I question this this character, but um, you always. I mean, it should never be black and white um, because that's not how life is. So yeah. Um, so I'm I'm okay with that. Yeah. But uh, yeah. So but there are, and I have been talking about the different adaptations throughout um, the uh, throughout this podcast. But I would say because I was I was trying to reflect and I was thinking about 
what do I like about these different versions? Um, so the 1941, 1940s one that we just saw, um, definitely it's a thriller. Um, or a, a thriller? Um, yeah, you can say thriller. It's a, yeah, yeah, it's, it's fine. It's, 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 it's fine. a thriller. Psychological um, thriller. It's, it's fine. a psychological yeah. thriller. I would say the other ones, they, I mean, if it's about... Re- I mean, this classic story about Rebecca, it's supposed to be a psychological thriller, but the 1941s really emphasizes that. Um, the 1979 one, I would say the main leads, um, I really liked the way they connected and it made sense when they decided to get married to me more than the other versions because I was like, oh, if like realistically if these two people met, they would uh, click and then, yeah. And then the 1997 one, um, I really liked the Mrs. Danvers. Um, and it was very, it was just fun. There's a lot more uh, intimate scenes between <laughs> Maxim and Caroline. <laughs> and yeah, they had a lot of sex in that one. I was like, oh. Okay. <laughs> Oh, so they do like each other. Good. They do <laughs> like each other a lot too. <laughs> I just sometimes you're watching the you know the 1940 one yeah, and you're like, um, yeah, yeah, is yeah. everything okay? Yeah, here? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It just doesn't that the relationship is not very healthy in the in the 19. I get you. There's more flexibility, even though there's like it's not perfect. There's more flexibility in the other ones, but the 1941 is is. Um, yeah, it's it's I, I kind of I don't I feel like he's too harsh and she's like I I just feel like it's not a good match but yeah and then for the ni- 2021 um I liked the what's her name Lily Lily James is that her name yeah yeah her name is Lily James I thought she did she did good I feel like she was trying to copy Joan Fontaine uh but <laughs> she did a good job <laughs> um and, and but Joan Fontaine did she did the best um I would say um it's just the 1979-1997 I thought had better uh, connections between the characters. And um, I saw another version, actually, a 1960s one. Uh, but it's only a, like a one hour. Technically, it's only 45 minute uh, because it's a TV um, a TV movie that they had. like the, They had TV kind of like um, uh, in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. They had um, little dramas that lasted just one hour for kind of like for housewives, you know, like a little soap and so uh rebecca was one of all the little soap mini soaps oh. and so it actually had, oh, well. <laughs> uh, it had they had though because they had a really famous um is it james mason james mason but uh it's just he's such a big name that i was like oh and then oh, I, yeah, I know i've seen that and yeah. then i was like oh because he's in a star is born the is it, yeah, yeah he's in the old star is born um and uh, he did, of course, a marvelous job at being Max. I would say I liked him the best as a Maxim, but it's because oh, nice. he's, he's just good at being dark, like having being the dark characters, you know? Um, yeah. If you've seen Which version him. was that again? You said that's the, the short one? Oh, uh, yeah. It's just, it's literally only 45 minutes. I was like, uh, how what, are what, you like, going to... Th- who, who made it again? Um, it's called Theater 62. Theater um, 62. Okay. It, it's, it's one of the TV, because they are multiple... Um, what do they call it? I think I have it in my notes here. They're called, I have, they're TV dramas, but I forget. There's a name that they used to call them for all those little uh, one-hour movies they would put on television when television first came out. Mm. And they, everyone had a TV, and they're like, oh, and then they would have little mini-dramas. Um, but anyways, that one is, that one I wish, I, w- I, I wish I could take James Mason in, like, a, yeah. I think I would put him with Joan Fontaine. <laughs> Uh, nice yeah <laughs> anyway <laughs> you have a fan cast yeah 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 i yeah i listened to the the uh orson wells radio 
adaptation of it. That one's really good too. Oh, okay. It's Orson Welles was as the um, as Maxim, and then Margaret Sullivan. Uh, yeah. Anyway, she she made the for for the radio performance. I felt like her voice was really good. Um, yeah, huh. may, I feel like maybe maybe she could play that role. Maybe she could have played it. Yeah, I think but, so too. Yeah. Um, and then I also watched the the twenty twenty Rebecca, the one that's on Netflix. <laughs> Mm-hmm. It's funny because it, so you, you like you like that Caroline, right? You liked her. You did. Yeah, I thought she was okay. I did it. I did you didn't to like me, her at all. Oh, okay. it's funny because because to me, um, she came off as a little not crazy confident, but she had some confidence. Okay. To me, she did at least. Okay. But the biggest watching the the nineteen forty Rebecca and then twenty twenty Rebecca immediately, you're kind of reminded why like Hitchcock is like a renowned filmmaker because um because you you we were talking how you were watching uh the netflix rebecca with our mm-hmm. grandma and then she was bored and stuff and yeah, so i was really curious i wanted yeah i wanted to know okay how why is it boring and i was watching it and uh, you know uh, an hour or so in i was like i think i get it i think it's like if you took rebecca but you took the hitchcock out of it mm-hmm. <laughs> because it's like it's super colorful, um, and it, yeah, it's. I mean, back then it's black and white movie, and now we have color movies. But um, the twenty twenty film is just the the color grading. It's just very very colorful, which makes me think that's too happy. And yeah. secondly, is the um, just feels like a lot of the suspense is gone mm-hmm. from yeah. the the twenty twenty film. It's like yeah, it's a boring it's, movie. It's, it's yeah, pretty boring. That's that's why it feels so slow and, and then in the 2020 movie i don't know if in, in in the other ones they do um in the 2020 movie they show rebecca even though it's uh it's caroline running through the manderley during the party and like she thinks she sees her um that's i i interpreted that as you you're technically showing Rebecca, even if it's like her imagination or mm-hmm. a dream or anything. Yeah, that um, you shouldn't do. They didn't do so, in the other versions. They didn't do e- that. Okay, they didn't do. Yeah, so they showed her, and, and you know the the huge appeal of of the the nineteen forty film is that she you never see her, and in the book she also never makes an appearance either, and um, so it it ruins that a little bit, and just the way ah I don't know just really makes you appreciate the way that. Um, Hitchcock makes it feel like she Rebecca's there, but she's not. Especially in that that last um, when they're in the cottage and Maxim is is revealing the entire story of what happened that night. Um, uh, Hitchcock traces her steps in the in the cottage, but without showing her. And mm-hmm. you, it's it's great. It is great. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah, all none, i had to say about the 2021 <laughs> yeah the, well the 2021 isn't worth watching like i would recommend the 1970 one it's just I, I, 1979 1997 yeah I, I i like well the thing is that i'm a british soaps person so i can sit and listen to people talk for hours but that's what that is <laughs> so the 1979 if you're not used to british soaps you should not go there uh 1997 also a bit you know because it's a it's a uk miniseries and they're gonna just have people sit down and talk for a long time mm. so uh yeah if you want entertainment 1940 this is the version you want to see yeah it's 
classic Hitchcock classic. It is. Just great. If if you like any Hitchcock movies, you can check that out or maybe you've already seen it. Um but yeah, I think we're coming to the end of the show. Yes. So yeah, so that's that's what we got here for this uh, 1940s Rebecca uh, podcast. Thank you guys so much for joining us. We really love these movies and that's why we come together and we, we discuss it and, and, and share with you um, all these these details about what makes the movie amazing. So thank you for, for listening to us. And we're actually going to continue on this Hitchcock ride and we're going to go ahead and see, what was it we we're going to see next, Sarah? Uh, I didn't, we're watching Spellbound. Spellbound. Next. Yeah. And so if you enjoyed our podcast, please uh, join us next time um, and please watch Spellbound. So join us next time. Talk to you, All or right. talk to you. Talk uh, to you. I was going to say talk to you soon, but yeah. <laughs> that's like what you said, I think. Uh, thank you for listening, and we'll catch you next time.